Hello and welcome to the One Football Women's Podcast. Welcome back to the Women's One Football Podcast for the first time for a while. I am delighted to welcome Drew Diamond from Her Football Hub with us. Drew, how's it going? Yeah, really good, mate. Thank you very much for having me. It's uh, it's great to be back. And also with us to talk about the final weekend of the WSL season is Nancy Gillen from Give Me Sport. Nancy, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Excited to talk about a very dramatic final weekend. Well, there were a few title wins across Europe over the weekend. Juventus won another Italian title. Wolfsburg hit back after Bayern Munich won the Bundesliga last season and claimed that for themselves. But we're just going to go into WSL today. I think there's so much to sink our teeth into after the last weekend of the season. And as you said, Nancy, a, a dramatic final weekend. Firstly, I guess there's only one place to start, and that's at Chelsea Man United. The first three in a row title winners in in English women's football since Arsenal's dominance ended way back in 2012 when the, the WSL was taken off. Really, Drew. Firstly, did you ever believe as United went ahead once and then went ahead twice that there was ever going to be a chance that Chelsea weren't going to find a way to win this game and clinch the title? No, um, I think there was definitely. If I was a Chelsea fan, I would have been worried. But I think as a neutral, I think we just know better now. Um, they are mature in those situations. You know, they've been in them hundreds of times. And and Man United had more of the possession. They, th- they threw more passes together. Um, if you look at the stats, you know, it was Man United's game to lose. But Chelsea just have these kind of players, and especially with Sam Kerr as well. Like, you're going to... You, <laughs> it's just in the DNA to win games when you have those players. Um and, you know, and they pulled through. I think they only had four shots on target and it was four goals. So, yeah, it's it's those kind of performances that just separate Chelsea from the rest. And Nancy, I guess, talking about separating Chelsea from the rest, you, we have to talk about Emma Hayes. And once again, the game's not going well. She changes the shape. They go to a back three and they turn things around. How much of a difference does she make for Chelsea, do you think? Or do you think this is a case of the team with the best players and the biggest squad winning the title again? I think it's probably a bit of both. Like For, for me, when the game was happening, it, it felt like Man U had gone ahead too early, almost. Like They gave Chelsea time to react and Emma Hayes time to react. So yeah, like you said, as we saw at half-time, she made the changes, which then instantly worked uh, with Kerr scoring like a, a minute after the second half started. Um, so, you know, obviously there has to be credit, credit given to Hayes because not all managers are that um, proactive or, you know, they might be a bit scared to kind of change from the game plan. Um, and she's always kind of shown that she's willing to do that. And, and in that match, it, it paid off massively. At the same time, I suppose you need the squad to be able to make those changes and put on um, as high quality players as the ones that are coming off. So it kind of is a combination of both, I suppose. You've, you've got a world-class manager there, but then you know, they've also got a world-class squad uh, for her to be able to kind of make the changes that she needs to. So, yeah, a bit of both. It was Bethany England and, and Jisoo Young that came on at half-time. Uh, well, Drew, <laughs> what an impact for, for G to have in her last ever WSL game. I know. She's going to be such a huge miss, not just for Chelsea, but for the league itself. She's one of the... I saw someone tweet, I can't remember who it was, that she's the best foreign player to have come to England in the women's game. And I don't think there's any argument with that. Um, purely on legacy. I think in the future that might change with players like Viv if they stay around in the league. But 
G is an institution. Um, and yeah, that's the kind of impact she could make. And they're, they're going to really, really struggle to replace that kind of character and an impact player and an all-rounder, really. That'll be interesting to see next season. And But they've, they've already replaced her, in a way. Like, the goals in this one, before Sam Kersett took over, is Erin yeah. uh, Cuthbert getting them back into the game, then Guru Wright and getting them back into... Or putting them ahead, sorry, after after Sam Kerr had scored the second equaliser. I think we, we do think about Chelsea, and we talk about Sam Kerr and Frank Kirby, Penela Harder, but there's just quality, Nancy, in every single position across the pitch. Yeah, and I'd I'd say uh, Cuthbert and Wrighton probably are the two have probably been two of the best players this season, and yeah, they're slightly more underrated than you know Chelsea's kind of obvious attacking talents. Um, mm. Yeah, I think I think Wrighton in particular has been brilliant uh, for the majority of the season, and yeah, I think that's it. It's probably you know maybe a bit frustrating for them. They're such good players, but they maybe all the plaudits go to Kerr and, and Kirby when she was fit and playing, um, getting all the goals, but they've been equally as brilliant. And that's probably one of the only downsides of playing in a team that has so much talent that you don't, maybe you don't get the recognition that you necessarily deserve. One of the things I was wondering to myself as the, as the games went to half time at the weekend was are Manchester United going to get into the dressing room, see that Man City are a couple of goals up and like, is, how much of a blow do you think that could have been Drew mentally just to know, all right, we've got ourselves ahead at Chelsea and it could all be for nothing. Yeah, I mean, the mental battle is... I, I, if I was the manager, I would have stopped anyone going on their phones. <laughs> um, the mental battle is is massive. Um, it's mentality that's got Chelsea through a lot of games in their past. And I think that's something we've spoken about on this podcast before, that you know, Man United being, in inverted brackets, you know, a younger team in terms of stature and, and the players they've got, it, is that mentality there to just just grind out results and ignore the kind of peripherals that, that impact the game. But yeah, it definitely would have had an impact on, on myself. Um, you know, you, you're fighting down one of the best teams that's ever been put together. Um, and, and yeah, as you said, it could all be for nothing. And <laughs> it's uh, it, it could have played a part. It definitely could have played a part. And Chelsea, on the other hand, obviously went in and, and almost definitely learned that Arsenal weren't ahead at West Ham, and I'm sure that gave them an extra extra spring in their step as well. The, the goal that was right after halftime, everyone's talked about, a lot of people have been talking about you know, goal of the season, Sam Kerr, the second goal. I want to throw it to both of you. Is there an argument for the first goal being even better? I, um, that's, that Sam Kerr goal, sorry, Nancy, that Sam Kerr goal, I don't think it would have gone in if the keeper tracks back properly so whilst it was technically beautiful I agree with you I think the first one is a much better goal yeah I, I was going to say the exact same thing I think it is a brilliant goal and I don't want to take away from the you know the the ability that you need to just take the ball on your chest and like volley that, it yeah. first time is, is brilliant but I do agree that potentially the keeper would have saved it if, it, if um, she was on she, her line yeah, um, she just yeah. kind of she just was ball watching a bit, I think, and and then suddenly was like, oh my god, they're having a shot, and then in know. yeah, in Mary Up's defence, obviously you don't expect someone to pick it out of the air and turn <laughs> yeah. it. it um, but but yeah, I I was a little bit surprised uh, that the the second goal got so much love, and that the first goal in the end <laughs> ended up not really being talked about at all. You know, being the equaliser as well that that got Chelsea back on track, sort of straight after half time. Uh, Nancy, I believe you were at West Ham Arsenal while all this was going on. 
Yeah, I was. I um had the goal alerts on my phone. Um, I was. I with actually it was it was funny because I, I was there as an Arsenal fan. I wasn't working. Um, and it was at West Ham, but probably I'd say seventy percent of the the fans there were Arsenal fans. So I was yeah in the terraces behind the goal, uh, with a ton of Arsenal fans. And yeah, every time like there was an update coming through on someone's phone, everyone was even like cheering, <laughs> or there'd just be like silence. Um, and yeah, pretty much when that 4-2, the Stan Kerr goal went in, even though at that point, I think Arsenal were winning, um, it was it was kind of like, there's you know, that's it, that's decided. I, I don't think Man U would be able to come back from that. But it was, yeah, it was a roller coaster for sure, because I don't think anyone had been expecting Man U to, to go ahead or maybe no. a draw, but maybe not, not to be winning. Uh, so to have that hope and then Arsenal not be scoring and then Arsenal finally scored and then Chelsea went ahead, it, it was a real roller coaster. And not not only United to to maybe surprisingly go ahead, but then Chelsea get pe- uh, Chelsea peg them back, and you probably think, oh, well, like that's that. I I definitely thought, uh, well, you know, that didn't last very long. It was I think about five minutes between the the opener and Chelsea's making it one all, and then United go and score again <laughs> to everybody's surprise. Was it nervy in the stadium, surrounded by Arsenal fans? And do you think the players felt that a little bit as well? Yeah, definitely. And I think especially the first half with it goalless, I think the players definitely knew that Manu had gone ahead because the crowd was cheering for absolutely no reason, Mm -hmm. like there was a goal. So I think they would have sensed then that things would be going Arsenal's way. But the the play seemed very nervy. Like there there was so a lot of sloppy passes, a lot of giving passes away, uh like easy passes, um and real kind of like really struggling in in the final third and in, in West Ham's penalty box to kind of score, and I, I do, I personally think that was that was nerves. Uh, they just looked a little more shake. Arsenal looked more shaky than they normally do. Um, it's interesting that you know then they came out in the second half and scored two goals. So obviously, that was a really good team talk by Idaval, which uh, settled the nerves. But yeah, I definitely think there was that pressure on the players, and it did seem to kind of come through in the way they were playing. Yeah, well, I'm, I have no doubt that they knew what was going on. Jordan Dobbs was sat there behind the bench, I think, watching <laughs> yeah. the, the Man United game on her phone. Yeah, um, on. <laughs> um, you know, and, and those nerves, you know, as you say, in and around the box, getting those chances. So there was a few cases. Noella Maritz, one from her, sticks out to me. She, the ball sort of sat quite nicely and she looked up instead of shooting, just like, is there anyone I can pass to? Sort of yeah. you know, t- take the pressure off her own shoulders and, and maybe find a saviour in the middle of the box instead. Obviously, Arsenal did get the couple of goals and, and they did win uh, at West Ham. It wasn't enough with Chelsea winning. But there's you know not too long that Arsenal fans have had to mourn because there was some very good news, Drew, on um, well, Tuesday. Yeah, so... Has it been confirmed yet, or is this no, uh, no, yeah? So I should probably say there was some very good news by (laughs) by way of the Athletic reporting it. Yeah. So yeah, Viv is is staying by the looks of it. I mean, we all thought Barcelona was done. Like it just kind of seemed like it was written in the stars and it it had all come to fruition. But it looks like we we might be getting another year of of Viv in the WSL. I think there's definitely unfinished business there. You know, she's Arsenal are that kind of club now where they just need to take that little next step and they're right where Chelsea are. Like they're not that far from being the European giant again. They are historically, you know, I'd say England's biggest club. 
um, having only you know been the only English club to win the Champions League, and they're not that far from being back to that. Um, I think Jonas is an incredible manager, um, and I think he will be at Arsenal for a long time. He's he's obviously <laughs> didn't know whether to bring this up. He's obviously already got into the Chelsea players' heads because you know, <laughs> he was the feature of their celebrations um, after you know they won the league. So I'd love to see that kind of rivalry where you know it is personal. It's on a personal level, um, and I think Viv Stein really adds to that because. Whilst Sam Kerr has absolutely dominated the league since she's come into it, Viv is at that level or can be at that level or has that the potential to, to match Sam Kerr's numbers and to have those two types of players at the two teams finishing first and second makes the league way more exciting. Um, so it's good news for everyone. It's good news. And uh, even the teams that Viv will undoubtedly score a double hat-trick against, it, it's good news for the whole league that she's staying. Nancy, so the talk is it's going to be a one-year deal, which I assume means that Viv Mida and Mert has basically said to Arsenal, you've got a year to prove to me that I should stay at Arsenal for longer than a year. What do you think is necessary for Arsenal to do that? Is it, it Do they have to win the league? Do they have to go further in the Champions League next season? Or do they just have to compete when they get up against Wolfsburg or Barcelona again next year? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely winning titles is definitely it. I think she made she made that really clear in a post match interview with the BBC um, at the weekend. She wants to win titles, and like that's completely fair enough because if you're one of the best strikers in the world, you have to have a title. You know, you you don't want to be like Harry Kane and not not win anything. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it's it's all pr- pretty much probably winning, you know, the FA Cup and the league. I think Champions League, it's a bit far-fetched to say mm. you want to be winning the Champions League, especially when you've got a team like Barcelona. You will have to beat yeah. Barcelona at some point, basically. But I think, yeah, like you said, um, probably competing against those top teams, you know, against Lyon, against Barca, against Wolfsburg, showing that it's close. Um, I think when when Arsenal did play Wolfsburg um, in the Champions League, in, in the quarterfinals, that first leg was pretty fiercely contested and it and it mm. ended a draw, but the, the second leg, Wolfsburg just, you know, ran away with it. And I think, yeah, Miedema will be hoping that next season Arsenal will have a squad that it will be, both legs will be really fiercely contested and, and potentially even Arsenal can beat those teams. But yeah, for me, I think, I think Arsenal will basically have to win a title next season to keep her. Um, yeah. And I don't think that's that's ridiculous. I think if Arsenal had won the league this season, it would have exceeded expectations. Um, but having now the foundation that the team have, and Ardavals had one, you know, season, he will have this summer to bring in the players that he wants. I think Arsenal were, will be in a pretty good position to win the league uh, next season. And and yeah, for Miedema, that will definitely be the expectation. There were more games towards the end of the season, Drew, where Viv didn't get a goal or didn't get an assist, which is a little bit unusual for her. She's yeah. obviously played in this deeper number 10 sort of role since since Dina Blackstenius came in in the winter. What do you make of that? Do you think Arsenal, you know, with Blackstenius, with an informed Caitlin Ford, with Beth Mead going on to a new level this season... Do you think Arsenal can afford to maybe sacrifice a few of Miedema's goals and have her knitting things together and creating a little bit more? I think there could have been many factors to to kind of that 
that's changing her style of play. I think obviously we have to bear in mind that, you know, there was a move kind of hovering over her head. That would have been a massive lifestyle change for her and it, it probably did distract her a little bit. I think also Jonas was probably probably experimenting with bringing her deeper. You know, can we replace the goals? Uh, where does that come from? Because you can't, you can't lose a player like Viv and not have a plan lined up. Um, if they were to just bring someone else in and say, okay, you are now going to replace that role, it wouldn't have worked. So obviously using Steena as the more kind of attacking player, experiments with, with you know, how do we replace those numbers and the performances? But I think it, it just shows her talent that, you know, she can be moved into a deeper role and still have an impact without, you know, maybe directly impacting the scoreline. Um, but she's just an all-rounder, isn't he? I think she could, we could put her in defence and, you know, she'll probably end up in team of the season um, in, a, in a different role. Like, she's just, she's just, I don't think she's human. <laughs> um, and Nancy, lastly, I just wanted to say, you know, how, how, how much comfort can Arsenal take, almost in a way, because it's, it's gut-wrenching at the same time, but how much comfort can they take from the fact that they only lost to Birmingham this season. Like that's the difference between winning the league and not winning the league. It's it's like a punch in the stomach, but you also look at it and you think, well, if Arsenal play this well next season, then they should have no reason to fear anybody. Exactly, yeah. And it's, you know, Chelsea won the league, but Arsenal beat Chelsea at home and drew with them away. So that's, you know, that's not... Uh, that it suggests that there's no reason next season why they can't do the same and then hopefully get the results elsewhere and, and not lose to Birmingham. But but yeah, I know that that game is so kind of, it seemed like it did all hinge on that. But the thing that sticks on my mind is when Chelsea were playing against, uh, was it Villa and, and they were drawing nil-nil and then Sam Kerr got that long ball over the top and scored in the very last minute. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was what won Chelsea the, the league. Yeah, that that was it. Because if, if they hadn't scored that, then... Uh, Arsenal would, would have been the WSL winners um, and that was just more I think indicative of how the season went is that Chelsea went even when they were like down and out they just managed to scrape through um, but yeah looking back on the season that that, that Birmingham result is, is pretty gutting yeah and hopefully that that won't happen again next season Those are the margins when it comes to winning a title and, and getting over the line when there are two like, exceptional teams in, in a league. And and just quickly, you want to talk about West Ham, Drew, uh, because Oli Harder left after this game. Paul Koncheski is going to take over next season. Yeah. Uh, Oli Harder did a great job this season, didn't he? Sort of bridging that gap between what was starting to become a, a top half and a bottom half of the league. Yeah, and I mean, and I'm sure as this podcast goes along, we'll talk about, you know, manager of the season and things like that. And I think he he is up there with the with the comparative budget that West Ham have. You know, he has got them about as high as you could imagine West Ham getting. I think I picked them for relegation favourites um, at the start of the season. He has completely transformed the way they play. He's pulled results out of the bag that I don't think anyone expected West Ham to get. And when you consider the the players he's brought he's brought in, apart from Hasegawa, I don't think there's many world beaters in that in that squad. Um, he did very much build on on what they had, and you know, replaced a couple of positions. You know, and I, I mean, the, the job he's done is fantastic. I don't know the circumstances and why he's left. I don't think it's really come out yet. I know there's just you know talk of disagreements around budgets and things like that, but none of it's fact. But West Ham won't have wanted to lose him, um, especially after the performance he's given um, in this season. 
and I'm sure he'll go on to really big things. Um, and for now, for West Ham, it's it's it reminds me very much of when Skinner left Birmingham. Um, if they get this wrong now, with the you know players have already announced they're leaving, it could be a very torrid time for West Ham. But if they get a manager in that can stable the team consolidate for next season, start a rebuild project with whatever is going on behind the scenes, then West Ham will be safe. But it's very, if I was a West Ham fan, I'd be scared because being someone that has seen it happen to Birmingham where, you know, they still had big players when Birmingham's down trail started happening. They still had players like, you know, Keris Harrop, Ellen White, but because they replaced the manager so poorly in that transitional period, it just all fell apart. And now obviously they've gone down and, We've lost Birmingham from the league, so West Ham need to look at that, take lessons and, and maybe address the reasons why Oli felt like he had to leave or why they felt like he had to leave, whatever has happened, um, and make sure, I guess, the next manager doesn't feel like that or they have those feelings about the next manager because it's a, it's a scary time. Yeah, I mean, the league's only getting more competitive and I think we're going to see a strong Liverpool side come up and you've got, you know, around that area where West Ham were in the table, Tottenham, Brighton, Reading, Aston Villa have, have improved. So it's, yeah, it's you, you, you do have to worry a little bit for West Ham after that news. Speaking of farewells, Nancy, Anita Asante played her last WSL game, which is feels a bit mad to say, um, and has, has hung up her boots. I mean, what do you say about... A player so legendary yeah she's she is such a legend and almost weirdly I think slightly underrated I mean you know she was in that uh Arsenal quadruple team won the Champions League um and sometimes I don't think fully gets credit for how good a player she was both for club and country as well um yeah, yeah and I, I can understand why she has she's retired but she was having a really good season with Villa anyway like you know she, she was still going um, going strong. Um, I think for me, what summed it up is I don't know if, if you guys saw, but on Twitter there were quite a few like video messages. Um, yeah, it's been going nice. around, kind of. Yeah, and and it was uh, like Megan Rapino was one who uh, sent her a video message with Jess Fishlock, and I think then you realise like you know she has she has played with or against some of the the very best and most iconic female yeah. footballers uh, in the world, and, and she is one herself as well. So, um, yeah, I, I'm sure I know she said that she wants to go into coaching and, and, and also making football maybe more, um, I suppose, diverse and, um, you know, people from similar backgrounds as herself getting getting into women's football. So I, I'm, I'm sure even though she has hung up her boots now, she will still have a massive impact on the women's game. Yeah, I don't think we've seen the last of her, Drew. No, and I think people like Anita, you know, once once you meet her and you talk to her and, you understand. I remember there's few players that you kind of get awestruck around, especially, you know, she's one of the few players that's actually older than me, uh, which is always a nice <laughs> feeling when you meet players. <laughs> um, but when you talk to her, you really understand like how impactful she must be in a dressing room. And I think people like that with legacies as, as wide and far reaching as hers is, will just consistently and constantly have an impact on the game. Um, and as Nancy said, some of the words she's touched on since you know announcing it and and previous to announcing it, she is she's going to grow the game in in the ways that it needs. Um, and there will be lots of people helping her facilitate that. I'm sure the FA will help. I'm sure you know all the clubs she's been at will will have an open door policy when it comes to Anita and, and you know letting her work within the game and whatever she chooses to do. You know, it 
it's only going to be positive. And we're lucky we have people like that. Like Nancy said, it was it's videos that have been coming out, you know, the nice little farewells and stuff. And you, you do tend to forget because we're so used to seeing these people week in, week out and at such an accessible level, what trailblazers and, mm-hmm. you know, legends they are. Like the word legend gets died around all the time. Like someone will have one good season at a club and they'll be like, oh, legend. But she is a genuine legend. I, I was hoping she'd get to like 40 years old and keep playing. What is she now? Like 30, 36, 37? 37, yeah. Yeah, I was hoping we'd get her into like 40s, like re- really go for it. Just, you know, stat pad those numbers. <laughs> but um, yeah, what what a legacy she leaves behind and will continue to leave. We've we've obviously touched on the top two. We've touched on Man United and, and their race for finishing third and being in the Champions League. We spoke about Birmingham and their relegation last weekend. So we haven't touched on Manchester City, who had an absolutely horrible start to the season, <laughs> have, have managed to pull it back around and finish third. Nancy, do you look back now and do you... What weight do you give more to? Do you think, oh, that's like that's a really disappointing season that Man City have ended up having to to fight for third on the final day of the season and they've got Arsenal and Chelsea eight, nine points ahead of them? Or do you sort of split the season into two halves and say they did brilliantly to pull that back and that's a massive platform to build on next year? Yeah, I've I've literally written season of two halves. That that's my <laughs> notes on Man City. Um, yeah, I think as well when you, I mean, like you said, it was an awful start to the season, but that, it was kind of it had you know the factor of the really bad injury crisis they had. Mm. Uh, they did have numerous um, players out, and and many of them were their their best players really. Um, so there was kind of a reason behind it. I still think there were some results that with the players they had on the pitch, they still should have been winning. But yeah, there, there was kind of that negative, I suppose, pessimistic, you know, environment around Man City before Christmas. And then, yeah, they've, they've completely turned it around. Um, I think their form in the latter half of the season, particularly in recent weeks, has, has been brilliant. I think they are maybe... You know, Chelsea, Chelsea and Arsenal have obviously won all their games. Um, but Chelsea have looked a little off the pace at times, um, especially mm-hmm. the two matches against Spurs. That City have been, you know, they've 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 looked very very good, and I think maybe they'd be disappointed that they weren't chasing for the title. But I think when you consider the injury crisis and and you know what was going on in the first half of the season, the fact that they qualify for Champions League, they've won the Continental Cup. They're in an FA Cup final, uh, could potentially win that. And they've now got Champions League next season to build towards. Um, And I think, you know, when you look back at the the season, they will kind of be the main highlights, the main things coming out. Um, And yeah, I think the second half of the season has given them a really, a really good basis and foundation to, to go back into the title race next season. So I think, yeah, all things considering, Weirdly, it hasn't actually been that disappointing a season for them. In fact, it could have turned out to be Champions League uh, place and, and two trophies, which is pretty amazing, really. Well, and the, there, are, I guess they're a little bit between teams, between a, a team that's that, that was aging and they've sort of started mm. to move on from. And now you see the likes of Lauren Hemp and, and Chloe Kelly was obviously signed and missed almost the entire season. And Bunny Shaw came in and, and had a really impressive first season, I think, in, in WSL. So, Drew, do you think these these are the players that we're going to see performing at, at the very highest level and, and take Manchester City on over the next few years? Yeah, I mean, I think they've got... Do you know what? If everyone was fit, 
I think they've got the best squad. Not the best eleven. I think they've got the best squad. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is it is those younger players, yeah. And I think Hemp they should just give a ten year contract to. <laughs> I think she's going to be one of the best players that we've ever seen. Um, you forget how young she is because she's been around for ages, like since Bristol. You just forget how good how good she is um, at her age. Um, but like goal scoring wise, City have been have been up there. Like Chelsea have scored sixty two this season, Arsenal sixty five. City have got 60. So they're up there with the goals scored. It's just the goals against they need to work on. I think it's double of those other two teams. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a good like 15, 20 goals ahead of the teams around them, you know, below them. Um, so it's just it's just shoring up that defence. Obviously, the start was strange. You know, I was really worried about, about the manager. I thought he was going to go um, because everyone was panicking. And rightly so, because it wasn't where they belonged. Um, yeah, I think... I think youth is definitely the way forward. Um, how they go around Steph and 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 that situation, like how how long do they do they focus that defense around her for? How how long can that? Keep well, going? yeah, five five appearances this season. It's yeah, you know, she's she's thirty four years old now. You you so, do at some point have to move on. Yeah, and and when does that happen? Because I don't think it'll be next season. I think she'll still very much start if she's fit. She'll start next season. But at some point, it's like we said about Viv, like you, she's one of those players. You can't just actively straight swap. You need to build for the moment um, and get players in that can that can fill that gap. And uh, I think City's business has has been good, but they've also had some some big misses. I think Dahl Kemper came in. You know, she had a big contract, a long contract, didn't work out. She she left. I don't. I don't know what the way forward is. I wouldn't have seen Bonner out the door for a start. I know that was a while ago now. Um, but yeah, I think City very much, if they want to kind of join in with this title race situation, uh, rather than picking up you know, FA Cups and things like that, need to maybe look at that spine because most of it's there, but there's, there's a gap or two. Um, but yeah, I think younger players integrating into that team is, is the way forward, is what has to happen. What did you make of the the decisions early in the season to when there was that injury crisis, Nancy? To you know, they'd signed Ruby Mace from Arsenal. They they convinced Ruby Mace to to go north and join them, and then there was an injury crisis at the back. And do you think it was? Do you think it made sense to protect her from that situation at, at eighteen years old, or do you think put faith in the player and and let her develop when you are having a crisis at the back instead of putting maybe square pegs in round holes? Yeah, for me, that personally was um, kind of symbolic of of the, you know, the instances where, yes, they had an injury crisis, but I don't think they were kind of, um, maybe the crisis wasn't dealt with in the best way, because for me, I I didn't really understand why Ruby Mays didn't play more. Um, Yeah, yeah, she may only be 18, but she's a a very, you know, she she did play for Arsenal a few times. And then um, who was it that she was on loan with again? I slipped my mind, but she, she when she went and played for... Um, Birmingham. Birmingham, thank you. Yeah, she, when she went <laughs> to play for Birmingham, she was, uh, she was really, really, really... She was really good. Yeah, she showed that she could compete uh, against... Even scored goals. Best. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and I remember a lot of, like, driving runs. And she, yeah, she, she was really good um, for them. I think she, she proved that she could play it at, in the WSL and... Um, yeah, it seemed very strange that you'd have a defense uh, injury crisis and you 
be playing like Jill Scott, uh, a midfielder in at centre back instead of a, a defender that you have just on the bench. Um, so yeah, I'm not I'm not really sure where the kind of the reluctance to play Mace came from. Maybe Taylor thought she wasn't ready, um, but yeah, there there were definitely some instances where I think maybe the 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 kind of the first eleven decisions could have been a bit better. Um, yeah. Yeah, I suppose ultimately it, it doesn't matter now because they have qualified for the Champions League. But that, you know, it was very close. That that could have potentially come back to to bite them. They've qualified for the Champions League, as you mentioned. They've won the Conti Cup and they've got an FA Cup final coming up at the weekend. Someone's going to win a double. Drew, do you <laughs> do you think uh, City, the way they've ended the season so strongly, uh, do you think that they can you know, pose Chelsea any problems? I think Chelsea the only team to beat them since sort of November time. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they drew with Arsenal. They they beat Man United a couple of times. Do you see this as a City side that can go to Wembley and and then go home with silverware, or do you think Chelsea are just too good? No, I think I think they definitely can. As I said, I think City have the the better squad, but obviously it's a one on one fixture, isn't it? It's it's down to the you know whoever's on the pitch who wants it more on that day because the talent levels are, are quite even there. I think obviously the Sam Kerr effect. What kind of game does she have? Who starts in that city back line? There's a lot of there's a lot of differentials that could really swing it. Um, I think it's going to come down to the managers. But I'll be honest, if if I'm not a betting man, but if you forced me to put you know a quid on someone, I'd put it on City. I feel like it would mean much much more to them this season to win this cup. I feel like it's important for them to set down a marker. I feel like. They could watch that Man United game, see how Man United operated in those first, you know, twenty minutes or whatever it was before it capitulated, and and see how to get at Chelsea. You know, they're not impervious, and and Chelsea do have weaker players that tend to that tend to play, and I think if they target the right players and they go at it with the right mentality, and they, they just need to shut Chelsea out. If they can do that, they can win. But now I've said that, I imagine Chelsea will win about five one. <laughs> yeah, shutting them out easier said than <laughs> done. Uh, Nancy, I mean, I guess my question would be if City are going to cause, I guess what would be a bit of an upset? Um, how do you think they're going to do it? I think I think it might be quite similar to, I could see it being quite similar to the Continental Cup final, really. Mm. Um, I think, like I've said, I, I think Chelsea are the team... Chelsea aren't weirdly in that good form. They've, they've conceded, they've be, looked a little bit, they haven't looked in their best form um, and I think City have. So I think probably just a more dominant performance from, from City, I think maybe all cylinders firing, I think something like a 3-1 win again uh, as they as they got in the Continental Cup final could happen. Uh, maybe it'd be quite a, a close game, maybe go to extra time and penalties, something like that, but yeah, I, I'm the same as Drew, really. I, I can see City winning it and maybe just being more dominant on the day. I feel like... say... sorry. Oh, sorry, go on, Drew. No, go I for it. I feel like the discipline in the game will be poor. You know, I feel like there'll be a lot of cards, a lot of aggression. And I feel like it's going to be a heated game. I don't know why I'm getting that vibe, but I just feel like for both teams, it's such a, a benchmark. Isn't it? It's that last game. It's the last game of the season. You either pick up a trophy or you finish the season disappointed. I think both players, both teams have players that are very physical, um, and I can just see like 
<laughs> I've been trying to avoid naming names, but I can see like Cuthbert or Millie Bright just like <laughs> full on breaking someone in half. Um, I, it's going to be exciting. I'm excited for it. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody can 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 wait. And as Nancy said, Chelsea they've they've won the league. They've they've won what nine games in a row, I think, to to end the WSL season since that draw with Arsenal. But they they have been close games. Aston Villa, Nancy mentioned earlier, the wins against Tottenham, the, the win against Birmingham, Man United at the weekend. There's been a lot of games that weren't yeah, just completely. Yeah, they weren't convincing. They weren't blowing teams away the way that we're maybe used to from then. So. Yeah, a, a, an informed City side should make it a really interesting game. Congratulations, though, to Chelsea, uh, to City as well for making it into the Champions League in the end, to Chelsea for winning the WSL title. We've got a few other awards to hand out, as Drew sort of alluded to earlier. <laughs> so, firstly, Nancy, who is your WSL player of the season? You can give me a couple if you want. I'm not going to force you to narrow <laughs> it all the way down to one. <laughs> okay, well, I, I, I think most people are going to say Sam Kerr, but mm. I completely agree with that and I do kind of understand the rationale behind that. But for me, I'd, I'd quite like to pick Beth Mead, um, purely just because I think all season she's been brilliant. Uh, she scored 11, which is the third best in, in the league, and got eight assists, which was joint top. But then there were also a few stats um, around chances created. So she created 68 chances, which was a new record for the WSL, and uh, created 54 open play chances, which again was another record for the WSL. So it just showed like away from goals and assists of which she still got a lot. She was constantly creating, attacking, you know, coming up with ideas, um, which I think, yeah, was just really symbolic of her season as a whole. Um, yeah, I, I know like her kind of took all the headlines and, and was so instrumental in the end with with Chelsea winning the league. But yeah, I think Mead has been brilliant. I think especially coming off the disappointment of not getting picked for the Olympics and maybe a slightly underwhelming season before. She, she for me, has been the standout player this season. Yeah, I mean, what, 12 months ago or so, maybe wasn't first choice or wasn't straight on the team sheet for Arsenal. Anyway, as you say, she didn't make it for the Olympics. How much do you think the Olympic blow has sort of inspired her to have this season and how much do you think it's her fitting in with maybe the the more intense style of play that Jonas Eidevold prefers to the the more patient approach of Joe Montemuro? Yeah I think definitely both I think the she she has said that the she wanted to kind of prove um everyone wrong that you know she should have been in the Olympic team I also think maybe the purchase of Nikita Paris is kind of a di- direct threat to her, her place in the starting 11 mm-hmm. and you know at the start of the season I was saying Paris starts every day over me and I was yeah. I'm happy to say I was completely wrong about that um and then yeah I, I do think that the style of play just kind of fits fits her a lot better um I, I yeah I think it's a combination of of everything really has just given her the opportunity to have a really good season Drew, have you got somebody else for us? Yeah, I mean, the player of the season is Sam Kerr, isn't it? But everyone will be talking about Sam Kerr. So I've done the same as Nancy and I've picked like a second kind of honourable mention. And I've gone for Alessia Rousseau. Um, you know, Nancy's picked out Beth Mead there. She's got 11 goals this season. Alessia Rousseau picked up nine. So she's not on She's not on the levels of, you know, Meadamar or Kerr or, or Mead. But I don't think anyone would have expected the contributions that Rousseau put in this season. I mean, when you look at Man United, they have brought in big name after big name to try and kind of 
have that big attacking player, you know, that that impact star. And I think Rousseau is the one that's finally done it. Um, I was at the the game at Old Trafford, and I was incredibly impressed with <laughs> with her performance that game. She she's a real talent, you know. She reminds me very much of Hemp and Hemp style, um, and I think if she can continue and, and consistently, you know, bring in nine, 10 goals a season and, and, and start topping those up towards, you know, the, the 14, 15 kind of contributions, then she's a leading player in the league. I mean, she's, I think she finished fifth top scorer in the league this season, which is massive. No one would have predicted that for, for a young Rousseau. And I think she's really helped Man United in that battle for Champions League. Obviously they didn't get there, um, but you know, they they were a while off. They're not that far off anymore. Um, and I think she is a major part of that. So, yeah, it, player of the season, Sam Kerr. But if Sam Kerr didn't exist, I'd go for Rousseau. Have either of you got a, a left-field shout? I mean, uh, you know, somebody from maybe outside the Champions League places or, or that battle for Champions League. I guess the next one is is who comes to mind when you cut those teams out of the equation is Ashley Neville, who was superb for yeah. Spurs week in, week out. Uh, is there anybody else who either impressed you this season or you thought you saw something where you think to yourself, we're going to see a lot more from them next season? Um, yeah, so I, I kind of had two that were, I suppose, quite left field. So again, in the Tottenham back line, I thought Molly Bartrip was brilliant. Oh, you've stolen um, my answer. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. And, and this is, I mean, I know this isn't not Champions League, but I think Jess Carter has a really good shout for player yeah. of the season just because she played across so many different positions. You know, she came in, I suppose it's kind of a bit of a stopgap, um, not really expecting to be, you know, she, she hasn't really played that much for Chelsea previously and, and came in because of injury and, and has played right across the fence and has done brilliantly. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're two that potentially maybe aren't in the in the conversation as much. Yeah, I'll just, I'll elaborate on the Molly Bartrick one. Um, I mean, when she left Reading, I was kind of like, oh, that's, that's silly. Like, but it also wasn't, you know, oh my God, I can't believe they've done that. They're going to massively regret that. Wow, do they massively regret that. She is one of the best players in her position in the league. Easily top 10, I'd argue top five. She's consistent and the, the kind of dynamic that Tottenham have, I feel like it's an accident. I don't feel like they expected Neville and Bartrip to be these like leading players in the league. No one would have predicted it. And both of them need to be in the England team as soon as possible. Um, it's mm -hmm. really strange to me that both of them have kind of been in team of the week, team of the week, team of the week. Uh, you know, Ashley Neville's a goal scoring defender. Yeah, and neither of them have kind of pipped into the international scene just yet. Um, but it's coming like, it's definitely coming. Uh, Molly Bartrip, the one thing she needs to add to a game to kind of, for, for people to stop questioning this, is to score some goals. Don't think she scored a top flight goal yet, although I might be wrong on that. But if she can add that and start adding a little bit of attacking flair to what she does on the pitch, then she's unreal. But even even now, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd kill to have her in my team. <laughs> So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go slightly different on the manager. Uh, you mentioned obviously Drew earlier that, that Ollie Harder could be in with a shout. My question to to you, Nancy, is is does anybody deserve this more than Rianne Skinner this season? Well, she was my pick. Uh, 
So, uh, so in no. My opinion, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think, again, you could argue Emma Hayes, you could argue Yenis Eideval, but I think in terms of where Rianne Skinner has taken Spurs, like from, from last season, they were struggling. I remember, I don't think they, they didn't... I don't think they got a victory in the in the first half of the season. They were really, really struggling. Um, kind of it picked up in the second season. They had the, the change in manager. Um, and she has just transformed them completely into kind of a, a team that is team always now. kind of yeah, they 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 were like flirting around the relegation zone and now they're, you know, at one point looking like they could compete for the Champions League place. Um, a tough match for for any team, you know, whether it's Arsenal, Chelsea, Man U, or kind of the, maybe you know the more tricky teams like Brighton and Reading. Well, not more tricky, but you know it's a bit more unpredictable. Um, I think she, yeah, she's she's really transformed them into into a brilliant team, and um, I think, yeah, just I suppose just for the work she's done, and, and the fact that we're talking about Bartrip and, and Neville and and yeah. some of the Spurs players for Player of the Season really show how she's she she is getting the best out of the talent that she has. Um, and yeah, she she's done a really brilliant job. So yeah, it, yeah. Short answer to your question is no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you watch Spurs and you do you get exactly that. They're just a team that's horrible, looks horrible to play against, <laughs> and and horrible to to try and beat and figure out you know, the way they defend. Especially, I guess, drew the next step for Spurs. This turned into a bit of like a Spurs chat, but we've not had it as <laughs> as part of our end of season uh, podcast yet. I guess the next step is find some goals and find somebody who can regularly score you some goals yeah I mean they've tried a few different things haven't they like you know the whole whole Alex Scott era of, of Tottenham but I do think they just they just need to break the bank they have been so good with what they've done in transfer windows like as me to Arley what a signing that was like out of nowhere who would have looked at the, that Aston Villa team and thought that's the player that can take us to the next level. She was doing a very good job at Aston Villa, but to bring her in and and you know see the impact she's made as well at Tottenham, they know what they're doing in the transfer market. Uh, and I think they'll bring in. I mean, there's 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 so many players available at the end of every season. I think they're probably the least likely to make a mistake in the window. Um, I think they probably know exactly what they need. And yeah, it's goals. They, I think their goal difference ended up like plus one. So they're, they're basically scoring a goal for every goal they concede, which obviously is not sustainable if you want to keep pushing up the table. Um, so yeah, all they need to do is add like 10, 10 goals, whether that be two players that do that or one player. And, you know, talking a whole different level that they can reach next season. And um, I think they'll do it. That's the thing. When when they won, it tended to be by a goal, and when they lost, yeah. it also tended to be by a goal. I mean, the you know, the defensive record is is on par with Man City and Man United, but it's just those goals. They're you know, thirty, forty goals behind Man City and twenty odd goals behind Man United. They're really sort of similar going forward to to the teams around them in mid table, but defensively, they look like a team that could finish third or fourth. So, yeah. you know, that's that's it's obvious where the the next step needs to come from. Drew, do you have anybody who could compete with Rianne Skinner for, for manager of the season? I don't think I have someone that can compete with her. I think I've, I've got an honourable mention. Um, and that's Darren Carter. Um, there was periods of Birmingham's recent history where they hadn't won for an annual year. Like a whole year. Like that's, that's insane. And 
to now think in recent memory, we can list off like three victories, a couple of good draws. Um, obviously, they they recently won the Derby. They beat Arsenal. Um, they blew Brighton away. Like, how 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 has he achieved that with what they had? Um, because whilst there are several players in that Birmingham team I'd pick out and I'd say, yeah, she could fit in at Tottenham, she'd do well at West Ham or Reading could use that player. Whatever they were doing was not working and hadn't worked for a long time. Um, and like when Carla dragged the odd result out of Birmingham, people were like, oh, she's doing it so against the odds. Like she needs to be in a big, bigger team. I hope that doesn't happen with Darren. I hope he just stays there and continues whatever it is he's been doing because it's working. Um, and he's getting a lot out of those players that other managers haven't been able to do. Um, and yeah, he's not, he's not had the full season, but I think if he'd had the full season there, I don't think they'd be going down. Um, some of the results he's pulled out, I mean, they were way at the bottom. They were gone and they've only finished two points behind Leicester now. And that's after losing to Leicester twice. Um, so you, yeah, you really have to give him credit with what he's done. I think he won manager of the month recently as well. Um, yeah, stellar performance from him with with arguably the lowest budget in the league and, you know, a team that probably weren't in a very good headspace because of where they were in the league. And he's he's done great work there in, in the time he's had. Nancy, do you have a breakthrough player? I guess the manager as well, a, break, a breakthrough person of the season. Um, I, yeah, a lot of the players we've, we've kind of talked about that I, that I've thought of. So Russo, Bartrip, Neville. I, thought, I think they have uh, elevated themselves um, compared to where they were before. Um, I think I've really, I've, I've quite liked what Lydia Bedford has done at Leicester since coming in. I think maybe not breakthrough as such, but I think she's definitely made a name for herself, uh, kind mm. of keeping them up and. Yeah, kind of just making them look a more kind of resilient and impressive team. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe I, I say the names that we've talked about before in terms of the players, and then yeah, maybe Lydia Bedford in terms of kind of a, a manager. Drew, anybody come to mind? Literally Neville again. Like we've spoke about her already, but to think that she, you know, she was with Tottenham in the in the Championship, and she's come up and she's she's leading in her position. It's it's insane. The kind of and obviously them turning professional and things like that is, is elevating people's performances and obviously the the good management they have there and obviously they brought in Vicky Jepson who is an incredibly diversely talented member of a backroom obviously when she was a manager it didn't quite go to plan but her backroom record is incredible and she's coming at Tottenham as well and obviously elevated their level again and it's I, I don't understand how Neville had this all in the bank like obviously you can coach players and improve them and teach them things that they never would have thought of and didn't realise were their own weaknesses, but she had all this in the bank at the level she was at. It's incredible the stride she's taken on. Like Tottenham have done well to get her to sign a new contract. Like she you know, what what where's her ceiling? I don't see it right now. Um but yeah, like I said earlier, England just need to start using her. What are they waiting for? And, and and lastly, uh, I wanted to Drew. I'll start with you this time. I wanted to ask each of you for something you want to be different next season. Something that you saw this season. Something that you didn't see this season. You know, if you could change something about WSL, the coverage of the league, yeah. uh, anything, what would it be? Yeah, I've got a good answer for this one. I don't want to see a team at the bottom 
that is only at the bottom because they're not getting backed or they're not getting funding. Mm. It's been a theme of almost every WSL season, like Notts County, Yeovil, Birmingham. I, I'm sick of it. Like This is why I'm so worried about the West Ham situation. Just sort it out. Get a good manager, back them, pay players. Like I, I just want to see a fair relegation battle. It's really like, it's sad that we have to kind of be like, oh yeah, like, we shouldn't be praising Birmingham for being relegated, but we are because of the situation they are in. I don't want to be doing that anymore. I just want to be like, okay, the team that went down with the worst team, it was as level a playing field in those bottom four or five teams as possible. They just performed less than the other teams. And that should be what a relegation battle is. I'm, I'm, I'm really sick of there being an obvious relegation candidate now. Um, the league should be you know, structured well enough that teams are getting backed properly and there's training facilities for all the clubs. Um, it shouldn't take, you know, Liverpool to go down to be like, oh, let's invest. It shouldn't take hmm. Yeovil to have to fully rebrand, change the name and to be like, oh yeah, like, okay, let's let's start trying to climb back up the tables. And I'm sure it'll happen with Birmingham. They'll probably do really well next season and potentially come come back up. But why does, why does it take that? I just... I'm going on now because it, it does upset me. <laughs> I, just, I just want it to be fair. That's what I want. Uh, Nancy, uh, I don't. I, I mean, have you got anything to to add to Drew's point, or have you got something else as well? Well, yeah, I, I completely agree with Drew's point. I think it's uh, as competitive a women's super league as possible, uh, with everyone getting fair resources and investment. Uh, for me, the thing I want to see is I want to see home and away ends in stadiums mm-hmm. i want it to be easy for away fans to buy tickets uh when they go into a, a different stadium so and you I w- mean I would... for example tottenham fans who have to sign up on arsenal's website which they I'm, obviously I'm don't want to do sick of the amount of emails i get from clubs <laughs> i do not support who's like oh yeah win an old trafford experience i don't want to i just bought a ticket once leave me alone <laughs> yeah like but yeah if you're a wsl fan that 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 travels see goes travels to see your team you are basically an account holder with every single yeah. WSL team. <laughs> mm-hmm. um I th- yeah and i w- within the stadiums i would like segregated seating that's not to say that you have to sit somewhere but i would just like the option of an away end because i just think it makes the atmosphere a lot better mm-hmm. uh like i went to the hive for uh tottenham's home game against arsenal and everyone was just sitting together in the stand and and that was it was fine like obviously you know there, there was no like you know, it's, it's women's football, so, you know, everyone was, even though there was the rivalry was there and everyone was, you know, like, you know, Spurs scored and the Spurs fans were cheering and Arsenal got a last-minute goal and they were cheering. Yeah, everyone was getting on. But I think if you have an area which is of, of Arsenal fans, um, it just makes the atmosphere a lot better. And and I, I think it's, yeah, it's at the moment, it's just pretty difficult for an away fan to go to a WSL match. Um, yeah, especially passionate. And if say if you want to wear your shirt, sometimes you just feel a bit out of place um, among kind of home fans. Um, so that is something I'd like to see, and I, I do genuinely, genuinely think it would improve the women's game as well. I think it would make it a more uh, inviting prospect for people to go and watch. Yeah, yeah I, I, and I think it all goes hand in hand as well to to what you were saying earlier about you know this this obvious Idaval Chelsea Hayes rivalry that's that's 
sort of appeared. I, said, I was going to say appeared over the course of the season. It didn't. It just started on the first day of the season. hasn't gone away. Um, you know, when you have those those moments in women's football that we see all the time in men's football and it, and it feels personal and people don't like each other and the emotions are, are raised because of that. I think all of that will, will only be added to by, as you say, having, having firstly, obviously, fuller stadiums, but then also stadiums that really you, you know you have a passionate away support and a, and a passionate home support sat opposite each other and trying to be louder than each other and that sort of thing so yeah, yeah I, I mean i think that's that will be fantastic for for the game and hopefully it's something that we see after the women's euros in the summer we see more people wanting to go to these games wanting to go to stadiums and support their clubs and maybe just maybe it leads to that yeah i think so i i think i think next season the next WSL season is going to be completely different to the one we've just seen I think it's going to be transformed because of the Euros at least that's what I hope so yeah and that that again comes down to the amount of people that are turning up and I think the passion for teams as well I hope that's that's something that we see increase Drew Nancy thanks so much I think I think as far as a wrap up of the season goes after the final weekend we've not done a bad job um (laughs) So a, a massive thanks for joining us. And I'm sure we'll speak again over the course of the summer and, and talk about the Euros and obviously next season's just around the corner. Drew, where can people find you and find your work? Yeah, so everyone feel free to follow her football hub. Um, we have a huge pool of writers over there um, and that's the main place you can find my content. Um, social media, I'm not really using it at the minute, um, but if you really want to, you can find me on Twitter. Um, at Drew Diamond HFH and Nancy the same for you yeah so well my personal Twitter account is at Nancy underscore Gillen and then yeah all my writing and stuff is at uh, Gimme Sport Women and our Twitter handle is Gimme Sport W and yeah we're really starting in the next couple of weeks anyway to ramp up our uh, kind of content and preview stuff for the Euros so if you're interested in that definitely pay us a visit Obviously, everybody, I can't recommend enough that you keep an eye on on both Her Football Hub and Give Me Sport Women. Uh, Drew and Nancy, thanks so much again, and I'm sure we'll speak soon. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for having me.